Welcome to the Power Forward Pod, hosted by the Power Forward Group Financial Advisory Team, where we believe two is better than one, dialogues are better than monologues, thoughts are meant to be challenged, sound boxes are the enemy, and change is the only constant. If you want to learn more about our day jobs and what we really do, check out our website at powerforwardgroup.com. Let's talk about sound boxes today. Um, we're going to focus on a lot of the Power Forward Group method, which involves two advisors working with every client of ours, whether it's a couple, whether it's a solo person. We want to make sure we have two uh, Power Forward Group advisors on every call we're on. And the real reason for that is we believe conversations and collaborative discussions, kind of like what we're going to try to have today, although we have too many of us here, all four of us, um, results in a better end product. And the idea behind that is we live in a world full of sound boxes, echo chambers, and that leads to a lot of one-dimensional groupthink. So how do we get beyond that is really challenging the ethos behind that. Uh, and it's around sitting, it's about sitting around a round table like this and having a conversation about what sound boxes mean, about what our journeys look like, and about what brought us here as a group. So I want to kind of go through all of our stories and where we came from and how we got here to where we're sitting today discussing sound boxes so openly. Um, personally, I think this is just one big matrix and we're all part of it. And even as we discuss sound boxes, we're still deciding between what are the pills, Chris? Red and blue. Red and blue. Which is the right pill? The red one. Anyone watch the movies? We just talk about it. Long time. It's been a while. More of a, more of a John Wick guy. Yeah. Joe, I feel like you Joe, you never it. saw the Matrix? I don't think I saw any movies. <laughs> oh, man. You've never seen a movie? I've just none that any of you guys know. <laughs> Nothing before the year 2020? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah. So, in terms of Matrixes and kind of where we came from and sound boxes that we come from, I think our backgrounds are really built by uh, the environment we grow up in, the environment that's around us. And to get better at what we do uh, and to have differences of opinions and differences of thought and perspectives, a lot of that is really just challenging, uh, just challenging our environments. Um, so thinking about that, um, I'd love to hear, Chris, you've been here for quite a while. I'd love to hear uh, kind of when you think about your journey and where you came from, um, are there any sound boxes that got you here or kept you back? Um, I mean, I think they kind of fall in the same with the button held me back and got me here at the same time. Uh, you know, growing up, uh, money was not something that was talked about. It was definitely stressed a little bit about. My dad was a mailman. My mom was an artist and we definitely never had a lot of money. Um, but I would always remember my dad kind of doing like side jobs, try to earn a little bit more, but it seemed like within my family and just even my friends that I grew up around, cause you know, kind of grew up around the same situation you're in typically is, it's always like, you know, go get a good job. If you, know, if you got a pension, you hit the jackpot and that was, that was really it. And I kind of struggled with that a little bit. Cause you know, I was doing it, it's going co kind of coasting through school and stuff like that. But I don't know, in the back of my head, that just never seemed right for me. Um, took me a little while to get there though, in terms of that, you know, my first job coming out of school, I, I never actually had a job. I don't think where I had an interview where there wasn't a shot of me getting the job. It was more of going to places where they're hiring everybody and anybody to get there. So it wasn't your skill set. It was just your easy hire. I like to think it was my skill set. Yeah, just checking. <laughs> but yeah, um, no, I mean, in, in, like in college, you know, I was in, in an engineering background, uh, started in college there, and, you know, that was kind of the goal was come out, be an engineer, go get a good paying job, and, and that was it. And quite frankly, I, I hated it. Didn't do, didn't do well in the engineering program, was actually a pro gamer at the time, which Joe always says is the coolest part about me, which makes me feel not cool since I don't do that anymore, I guess, but... 
um, was making more money doing that than I think guys that even today that I graduated with were make are making now. Um, not that it was about specifically that, but you know, when I kind of switched over into like finance and school, it just seemed like there was no ceiling and it always seemed like, you know, the goal was just, you'd see people that had some money and this is the way my family always looked at it. It was, you know, they're lucky they have that, you know, instead of how do you get that? How do you achieve that sort of thing? And I really didn't find that. I kind of fell into it a little bit post-college. I didn't, didn't get a job right away. I was waiting tables at a restaurant bartending where I actually met my wife, which is pretty cool. Um, but, uh, my first job was as a stockbroker, which, you know, hire everybody and anybody there. And that was my first exposure to like guys that came from really nothing that were just killing it. Like, you know, guys that were 25 years old driving around in hundred thousand dollar cars and stuff like that. It almost didn't seem real. I was like, Oh, this is, you know, maybe this isn't the exact place I want to be. This is what, what I want to kind of be doing. Um, that happened to be the same year that Wolf of Wall Street came out. So that was a hard conversation. My wife was like, we we're not doing that. I promise. <laughs> That's, that's not what we're doing in the office. We're just, we're just selling stocks. Um, but yeah, I was doing that for a little while uh, and then wanted to do more some, something that felt a little bit more long-term, which kind of brought me into you know the financial planning sphere where I eventually met up with uh, you, Ruben. Um, but part, part of, I think, what I've kind of translated into with clients is that like the more you kind of talk about money, the more you think about money in terms of the way that you're saving, the way you're approaching your money, um, the more freedom you ultimately have. Like doesn't mean you don't, you have to be a business owner right at the end of the day, which, you know, for me, that was a thing because I didn't want to feel capped in kind of what we're doing. But if you feel like you have control over it, and that, that's probably why, you know, those days, like, you know, my dad coming home and stressed out and stuff like that, like didn't feel like he had control over his life probably a lot of times because money was a big stressor at the end of the day. Um, I still have friends though, you know, they're working good jobs, you know, good, you know, union jobs and stuff like that. But for me, that was kind of like the sound box that, you know, their success was not my vision of success. And it was, took a little bit while for me to get out of that not until like my mid-20s so the make-believe of video games had a hard ceiling on it no i had bad timing on that one yeah how much <laughs> how much does a gamer make today you really want to know i do so one of the guys that i uh used to compete against that uh we were kind of rivals um last year i think forbes had it that he netted about 15 million dollars shit i wanted to run business what, what kind of games are we playing I was playing, I mean, the big games were shooters. I was, I was good at Halo, but I was too young when Halo was like kind of on the, on the horizon, right. um, to go to tournaments and stuff that, that was the difference. Like where I missed out was like when we were playing, it was, you went to tournaments and you won money. Um, I quit probably a little too soon. Cause like two years after that, That's when it blew up, right? The streaming thing blew right. up. Right. So like when we were competing, like you really didn't like, they would stream our tournaments, which was cool. So like people at home could like watch, like you know, I was in Dallas or Vegas, like playing, they could watch it. Like you didn't want guys seeing how you're playing. It's like, you know, it's like Jordan work at practice. Like you don't want, he doesn't want that video getting out, right. Seeing how guys are playing and stuff like that. Um, But the whole, it really went from more of like competitive nature to like an influencer kind of model with the the streaming and stuff like that. It's like the guys that are killing it now, maybe they might not be the best gamers, but they're the most entertaining for the most part. Top winnings, Chris DeVito top winnings. Like at the tournaments that, I mean, the, the game I played didn't get a lot of traction. I like the, the biggest pool we won, I think it was like 25 grand split four ways, but we would do tournaments all throughout the year. There was a lot of local tournaments and stuff like that too. Um, the top guys, Halo got a lot more love on the circuit. They were making like, you know, top prize would be like hundred K at the championship and maybe like 50 K throughout the year, like five, six, seven tournaments. So this podcast is turning you into a financial influencer and this is, we're getting rid of the ceiling. That's fine. Yeah. 
I'm good with that. Should we put it on Twitch? Is that what we use? Twitch? Yeah, that was the one. Yeah, it, was, it used to be Justin TV. That's what it came out as. Oh, you're going to find us on uh, YouTube, uh, the Power Forward Group channel, and um, wherever else Michaela puts our videos. <laughs> and hopefully you'll download this. But uh, Joe Shalom. Uh, Joe began with Power Forward Group the day the pandemic started. Um, and I kind of want to hear about his background, the sound box that led him here, uh, whether he's still in the Matrix, whether he's out of the Matrix, I'm still not sure. Um, but... Uh, Joe, can you tell us what a balak means? By you? Yeah. yeah. What does that mean? So uh, I actually grew up in a very close-knit Jewish community. And you know, I went to a Jewish day school. People I hung out with were all Jews and really insulated from everywhere else in the outside world. Um, and I think that sort of led me to where I am today and made me think about who I am as a person because... My family had a business. My grandpa started it over close to 60 years ago. You know, every holiday, every Saturday, you know, Shabbat, we went to their house. And I was one of the younger cousins. And as I sat around the table, I sat around, you know, the couch, and everyone's talking about being in the business. Everyone was, for the most part, in wholesale at the time. And I'm listening to them what they did. And they're talking about it. And I'm like, oh, I feel like I'm missing out. I'm not part of that at all. And my whole goal was, as I was growing up, like, I just want to be part of that crew. I want to sit there in that conversation and be part of them. So as I went through school, college, my whole goal was, hey, I'm going to turn, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21, and go work in the family business, just like everyone else is talking about. I want to be part of that conversation. And that's what I did. Um, you know, when I got to college, it was like, all right, I'm here just to get a degree, not really focus on, you know, doing anything else, right? Graduated college in two and a half years with the idea that, all right, great, once I get out, two and a half years. Yeah, I got very lucky, but it's another conversation for another day. Um, so when I got out, I said, okay, this is what I wanted to do my whole life since I, you know, I was sitting around listening to everyone talk about it. I'm going to go, go work in the family business. And it's not what they talk about at the table. You know, working uh, with family is not always necessarily the easiest thing in the whole world. And when you work with you know, an 100, 125-person company, it's not like you just get you know, the keys to the kingdom at the top. you got to start at the bottom. And I was probably doing... Hold on. Did you walk in like you expected the keys to the kingdom because uh, Joe Shalom's in, in the room? Yes, absolutely. Definitely. Hundred yeah. percent. I admit it now, but back on. then I didn't think it. When you what was the first? Oh wait, this is not what I thought it was. Moment. He had to get his own coffee. <laughs> I didn't drink coffee, but uh, it was there was one day when one of the uh, the owners or called me in and said, "Joe, I want you to count paper clips." And he gave me a stack of paper clips and said, "Just count it." I said, "Why?" He goes, "Because you have to learn to do anything I say. I don't give a crap what you say. You just got to do it." And the owner was your dad. No, it wasn't. <laughs> so I sat there counting paper clips, and I was like, this is horrible. But, you know, what else am I going to do? I have, I have no choice but to listen. Um, and then it was, you know, coming on a Sunday, because we said you have to come in on a Sunday. And it was, you know, go count the showroom samples, because we said you have to do it. And back then, I thought, like, I was above that. But thinking back, you know, eight, nine, ten years later, if I didn't have that, I wouldn't be anywhere who I am as a person today because you have to really start at the bottom. And I didn't, I didn't understand that at the time because I thought, hey, it's family business. I could be at the top. And uh, after working there for a number of years, I said, you know, maybe I should go somewhere else, think about something different because as I'm growing here, I want to really expand my wings and I'm sort of limited to what I know, who I know, um, the people I work and interact with. And all I really knew was wholesale. And I spent about six months talking to different people in all different industries and quite frankly, I didn't even know financial advisory was even a business. I didn't know anyone in it. I had no idea about it. I, you asked me when I was there that I would be doing this five years later. I'd say, I don't even know what you're talking about. I'd never heard of it before. And it sounded interesting when I started talking to someone in it. And I 
jumped in and said, hey, I like finance. It sounded cool. Let me do it. And started working with, you know, the Paraford Group team first day of COVID. And you know, thank God it's been very successful since. And have your horizons been opened? Oh, that's for sure, right? You know, I can't imagine about almost all my clients are not even part of my community, right? They all have different backgrounds, different stories. Most of them don't even live in New York like I do. And just the fact that I was able to expand my horizons, I think, A, makes me a better advisor and B, just a better person as a whole. How did your family take it when you were like, I'm out? Uh, they still want me back, but that's a different conversation. Um, they were very supportive. They gave me time while I was still working there to to say, hey, I want, I want to still work here, but figure out what else I'm going to do. And they gave me that time to go explore, meet with different people, talk to them. As long as I was open and honest, they didn't care. What was like a big like shell shock or like odd thing that you saw like outside of your community getting exposed to like other people? When I tell people I was married at 22, like no one understands that at all. That might be more of an East Coast thing. If <laughs> <laughs> you met with us, it might be a little different. Yeah. Um, Bobby. Yeah. How we doing? How we doing? <laughs> so, How you doing? How you doing, Chris? I know, I know you love finance. You love looking at markets. You love thinking about markets. Um, is that, is that kind of where you began? Is that why you came into the world of financial advisory? No, no. I would say, um, you know, my passion, my interest in markets, investing, the whole investment world really came a little bit later in life for myself. Um, I think the big soundbox that I'm, I'm thinking about this and thing I had to sort of break through in a way was getting over the fact that uh, there was almost a predetermined career path um, for some of the men in my family before me and just finding my passion in life. Um, credit to my parents. I think they, especially my dad specifically, he did a tremendous job of just um, always leading me to and encouraging me to follow my passion, follow my dreams, you know, do what makes you happy in this life and, and find, uh, find your purpose. Um, for my father, he, he had a little bit of a different story. So he, um, he owns and operates a, a lumber business now, um, that was, which was actually started by his grandfather. Um, so my dad's father kind of was forced into the business a little bit. Um, my dad didn't really have a choice, uh, growing up, which I, you know, I didn't know at the time, but over the years, just speaking with him, um, I think it was very clear that wasn't really his passion. He didn't foresee himself going into the business. He wanted to do other things. He actually wanted to be a teacher. I think, uh, I still talk to him to this day about when he retires, I think, uh, joining, you know, becoming a professor or a teacher or something he wants to do. Um, which, um, you know, that, that must've been, that must've been tough for him. Um, just not doing what he, what he loves, but, uh, credit to him. He's one of the hardest workers I've, I've ever been around. Um, did a phenomenal job of providing for his family, for his kids, uh, and for his wife. Um, but for me, he was always, he steered me away from the family business from a very early age. You know, there was many summers growing up where myself, my brother, we would always, you know, we'd work for him in the summers, all this, but there was never any pressure to, to step into the family business, to take over what he was doing. Um, and he really allowed us and wanted us to kind of steer us away from, from the business a little bit. Um, so very fortunate for that. And I, I credit, credit to him and, and my mom for where I am today for if, you know, if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be here today. Um, the whole money situation, our family, again, credit to my parents, very hardworking individuals and, and people, but, uh, I don't think they were ever the most financially literate, um, of the two, uh, both, you know, come from blue collar families. Um, 
you know, the whole investment world, stock market, you know, real estate investment, uh, real estate investing, all of those things were never really taught. Um, I don't think they were ever taught to them, which as a, a product was never really taught to us as, as children. Um, so for me, it was very, I became very curious over time. Math was always one of my best subjects growing up. Um, I wasn't always the greatest student overall, but math was certainly an area where I shined and, you know, was getting A's in every class. And Wait, what was your worst subject? English, for sure. Okay. Oh, yeah. me too. What'd you yeah. get? Bobby read. writes wonderful emails, Joe. <laughs> you still can't write a sentence. <laughs> My emails wrong. take, uh, you know, 20 minutes to write three sentences. I'm always, ask Michaela, I'm always asking her, does this look okay? Like, you know, but, uh, but, uh, but math was uh, my strong suit, so I, so I love that. Um, and growing up, uh, I guess it was really for freshman year of college, I took my first accounting course, um, money and finance course, and it was just very eye-opening to me. Like, I had no idea what the stock market was. I had no idea um, how cool this whole, this whole other world is. Um, so I just became very interested. I started reading, um, you know, everything I'd get my hands on that, it, that was related to money. Um, accounting was just uh, a subject a lot of people hated and most people think it's one of the most boring things. I think it was one of the most fascinating things. I loved it. Uh, balancing, you know, the balance sheets. Uh, it was just something I loved doing. So um, I quickly realized that was that was my passion. That's what I wanted to do. Um, and that's transpired over the years. And um, similar to my dad a little bit, I think uh, the educational factor uh, plays into it. Um, I love, I enjoy trying to teach people things. I enjoy um, trying to share my knowledge with other individuals that, um do not have the same knowledge, right? And that's that's a whole other topic we can go into, how the lack of financial education in the system uh, is where it is. But, um, yeah. Is your dad your hero? He is, yeah, for sure. Yeah, he's, uh, yeah, he's my hero for sure. It's kind of awesome. Yeah. Uh, you no, know it's funny. My whole life I wanted to go into the family business. Your whole life you wanted to get out of the family <laughs> business. <laughs> Maybe we should have switched. Yeah. Well, your dad, wanted you, your dad wanted you in the family business, Joe, right? Not necessarily. We didn't really talk about it. It was more of just me watching everyone else grow up and be part of it that I said, hey, maybe that's what I want to do. I didn't know anything else. I'm just listening to talk about it all their whole life. And are, you, like, are you the oldest sibling? I'm the oldest. My dad's the youngest. So all my cousins and everyone was older than me. Mm. Like my you know, youngest cousin and my, my dad's older brother, his youngest son, is 11 months older than me. So like, is that age? You saw yeah. all of that. Yeah. yeah. How many family members can one business support? How much wood can woodchuck chuck? Uh, that's part of the conversation. Of one of the reasons I left, you know, it's uh, it's good, but you got to keep growing, and it's not necessarily so easy all the time. Right. So it's kind of interesting. Um, I was looking through some studies of sound boxes and thoughts about sound boxes, um, and Michaela pointed me towards a Harvard Business Review article, and they were doing a study of Bell Labs. Bell Labs is kind of like the Google back in the day. Um, AT&T was the largest company. It was the largest tech company. We don't think about AT&T and tech. Uh, and the subsection of AT&T was Bell Labs, and they would hire the best and the brightest. Uh, and throughout hiring the best and the brightest, you'd, you'd assume you'd get the best work product from the best and the brightest. Uh, but what the student found as they started to look at the KPIs and the key performance indicators of their employees is that a lot of them fell back to the mean. Um, yet there were a couple that really shone above or shined above everybody else. Um, and social researchers started to look at this and said, hey, what was the big difference? And it wasn't necessarily IQ. Everybody was super bright. Everybody was, you know, 1600s on their SATs or whatever the score um, was at the time. Uh, what they started to find was that the best performers were the ones who had the largest social networks, but not just social networks in terms of the amount of people uh, they know, 
right? Because that's not the only important factor, right? Joe, how many people are at your wedding? Between seven and 900. Chris, how many people are at your wedding? 175, maybe. Right. For me, it was like 400, Bobby. How about you? Like 220. Right. And I use weddings because weddings are a good sign, good sign of your, your basic social network, but it wasn't size alone, right? By assumption there, you'd say, hey, Joe, who told us a moment ago, I came from a pretty closed environment. He had 900 people at his wedding. It sounds like the most open environment. Um, so it's not the amount of people. It's the diversity of opinions in that network that really they started to focus in on is those were the most diverse networks in terms of ideas, opinions, and thoughts were the ones who rose to the top. And I think about that and what we do because I think about the matrix and the sound box that we all come from, right? Everybody comes through their uh, their family environment, their schooling environment, that's how they end up where they are. Um, I think that, that that's, we don't have a lot of free say in that, right? You don't, you don't have a choice in what community you grew up in, Joe. Uh, Bobby, your grandfather was in lumber, right? Just was what it was. Right. Uh, that's, that was the environment. And for Chris, uh, your, your family is a single family household, right? You didn't have that choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you follow, I think a lot of us follow the path of least resistance and the path that's going to make our parents the most happy at the time and our community the most happy at the time, right? You go into the business they expect. You follow that path they expect. Um, you get the best grade you can on a test you can get. But I think the real differentiator when you think about what the Bell Lab studies thinks about is the people you surround yourself with. And I think the beautiful part about what we do, if you were to ask me what gets me out of the matrix, it has nothing to do with choices I make. It has to do with the conversations that we have every single day. We meet people from around the country, different walks of life, different thought processes. And that exposure to me is a massive uh, piece of my own strength. Um, I think about our job almost like being a vampire. Um, Every meeting I have, I'm taking, I'm taking, I'm taking more. And I'm getting a new life story, a different opinion. I am. (laughs) We call that 1%. But um, I think think the exposure we get by advising clients, when we think about what an advisory is, I think we get so much more back from those conversations that we have uh, in that open environment, those conversations foster. So um, to my first question to Joe, a Balak, uh, that term to me was explained by my wife as soon by you. And when we think about life's journey, it's always about the next step, the next step, the next step. But really the journey is the goal, right? It's kind of enjoying your process, enjoying that journey. And, and it's not about the performance indicators. It's not about, at least for me, I don't want it to be about, you know, how much money I made yesterday, how much money I'll make tomorrow. I want it to be about the experience along the way, the experience along the path. Um, so I think when we sit with clients and we talk about financial advisory, when we're really focused on isn't the numbers part. Although Bobby and Chris will love math and Joe will tell me it's always about the numbers. Um, but I think it's about the listening. I think it's about the, uh, the, challenging, uh, the challenging nature of those conversations and really the open form of those conversations. Um, so within that, um, when you think about that process and, and that, that environment, uh, how do you think the two-to-one ratio affects that, Bobby? I think it's great. Um, it, it opens up the sound boxes completely. Uh, you know, I'll be on meetings with, with you, with Chris, with Joe. Uh, we all hear things a little different, too. There are th- some things that Joe will pick up that, that maybe I missed or maybe I picked up that, that you missed. So um, the two-to-one ratio is, is really great. Um, and we all have different personalities. So um, everybody we're dealing with, everybody we're speaking with, it's, it's great. We're learning about their not only their finances, but, but their background, their story. Where did they come from? How did they, how did they get to where they are um, today? Um, 
And I think the two to one ratio is, is a terrific thing that we have and it's very unique in our industry. Um, How about you, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I probably have to just agree with Bobby on all that stuff. It's also interesting just the different types of people that you meet. Like I've seen everything from, you know, pilots to you know, guys that compete in hot dog eating contests and just about everything in between, which is pretty interesting uh, to see the different walks of life and people's different experiences, you know, ex-pro athletes, you know, people that, you know, served in crazy places all over the world in the military and stuff like that. And things that I definitely was not exposed to growing up where I grew up. I mean, you know, I think we, we had kind of done it before the pandemic hit, but kind of becoming more of a national firm and working with clients across the country has been pretty cool. Like getting exposure to people in Texas, California, Chicago that, you know, I wouldn't know what the heck their life was like going up and hearing about those different things. And then, you know, them getting exposed to, you know, different stories that, you know, two advisors that they're working with that have totally different views on life and experiences and stuff. I think it adds a lot of, a lot of value. It's really the culture of how we work with clients. Right. And for, for myself, I think about that. A lot of that is around goals, right? We, I, the first question, the first real question we ask a lot of prospective clients is what are your goals? What do you want to do? It's not about um, maybe some analytical people think about what net, what net dollar amount they want at a certain point in life. But a lot of it's really about, what the money's going to do for them to allow them to have those goals. So the question is, what do you want to do at retirement? What do you, when do you want retirement? Uh, what are you looking to do with uh, your family life? What, what are vacations look like? Questions like that. Uh, by having those conversations, I think it expands my own goals because I hear a ton of different things. And to Joe, your point before, right, you're living in this environment where the goal at a young age is to what? To go into the family business, right? Because that's all you know. That's all you're exposed to. Um, when you think about it now, what business are you leaving us to? Where are you going? I like what I'm doing. But you know, I think it's a, just to, to add on to what Bobby and Chris said, what I think is very interesting more than anything else is just the way we all have conversations is we always don't agree on things, right? Because of all our different backgrounds that you know, me and Bobby, me and Chris, me and you, even, even though we're you know, similar Jewish communities, even though it's different from that perspective, we all have different backgrounds, which allows us to have different opinions, so we could be on a meeting and the client can see one thing one way, like Bobby was saying, and we could, you know, me, you, and then the client could have different opinions on how we think to get there, which is crazy if you think about it, right? Because every one of us could be working with the same client and give them different advice, but it's really, I think that's the benefit, right? That we can say, hey, here's what I think. Here, here's what you think. What do you think? And then with all three of us put together a solution that it's what actually we, is the real best solution for him because it's not just, hey, I believe this, you should do this. It's really an right. open conversation behind right. it. So that's a super interesting point, right? Because when I, when I just turned that question to you for a minute, right, what I, what I was saying kind of in jest is you came from a more insular environment, right? At the same time, there's a lot of strengths that come from that insular environment, right? It's not something, it, it may, might be something that kind of closed for a while your eyes to other things, but same point, you have a lot to offer from that environment that you come from individuality of the environment you come from isn't necessarily something that holds us back. Um, it's something that we can draw upon and use strength from. And when, when I think about that, I think a lot about communal, communal environments, community environments, individuality being super important. On the back of my computer says we them ones. Um, I think the idea there, though, is it's really easy to just follow the path forward. Um, and I'll go back to, you know, my nerdy reading stuff. But I love to read. I, I think about finance. When I think about finance, a lot of what I think about is anthropology um, and human, basic human characteristics. And the easiest way people look at that is they look at communities, uh, 
early, early, early human communities to see how we evolved as a culture. Um, and we all think about Darwinism, right? What does Darwinism say? Chris, you're probably, you're probably a big Darwinist. You're, you're the history guy. you got to tell us all this stuff. We, me and Bobby didn't study yeah, history. I went to Chris. Chris, I Darwinism. Let's classes. go. So was, we're just talking about survival of the fittest here. Survival I the dropped fittest, out right? of them. <laughs> it's a simple, like, survival of the fittest sounds really simple, right? It says, hey, we, we build up certain characteristics because it gets further in life. But what they found when they looked deeper into a lot of these communities is that survival of the fittest wasn't necessarily, goes back to that, uh, that idea of a multiplicity of um, concepts and social exposures is sure communities advance and they grow better and it's by watching others before you. Um, but when they looked at, uh, they looked at historical men, historical communities, a lot of what they learned is survival of the fittest alone wasn't so simple. It was survival of the fittest really came upon following those who were really good at what they did, but following communities that succeeded were, weren't communities that were, singular right they weren't monolithic they weren't hey just follow the king we're democratic societies now it's the idea of a multiplicity of ideas within that and following that that was um one of my favorite concepts is federalist 10 uh federalist 10 is the idea that free speech in society the more ideas that are out there the better we will come out as a society and take those ideas and we'll synthesize to what it, what the best idea is for our community and our people um and humanity, I think one of the biggest dangers to that today, and we spoke about past history, is uh, what are modern sound boxes? When you think about modern sound boxes, I think there's more and more and more of them, and those become echo chambers. What's the other thing? Like confirmation bias is a big part of that, yeah. right? You're just kind of looking for things that you agree with to just reinforce something that you believe, even though that might not be right or correct or whatever, um, and you just gravitate to that yeah. in a lot of ways. Like Chris says, you know, you're on Facebook, Twitter, you you like what you like, and they just keep showing you what you like, and they start showing you less of what you like. So as things keep growing naturally to more of what you like, less of what you don't like, right. you don't see the other side of things anymore. Right. And I think those are a lot of the conversations we're able to have, and that's the beauty of human conversation, right? Whether it's through Zoom, whether it's around the table like this, is uh, challenging some ideas, having different ideas come to the forefront, allowing individuality. Final question. Um, Biggest Jeopardy? No. Final question. <laughs> final Jeopardy. Like that idea, Joe. <clears throat> okay, Final Jeopardy. I can't do it. It's just answer in a question? Yeah, I was just thinking about that. It's very hard to do. But um, the biggest, uh, a lot of what we do as advisors is really build up our book of clients and really trying to build out our practice and meet people. Um, what's the biggest shot you took today, Chris? We'll go around the table. Chris, what's the biggest shot you took today in terms of just trying to do something different. What's the biggest risk you took today? Biggest risk I took today? I don't know. I feel like I didn't get too risky. <laughs> Chris comes in the office, hangs on his computer, hides his screen. You know, we it's played, we, working we from home. Some darts. Do so. some darts. My, big, my biggest risk. Risky. My biggest risk was, was I tried to change up uh, my commute this morning, and it did not go well. Oh, let's yeah. hear. Well, the bus, the shuttle across town, uh, had to wait another twenty-five minutes because I missed it. Uh, Michaela knows all about that. Um, so decided to walk to the 7 train. And, of course, that was out of commission for another 20 minutes. Then I took the – finally got on it, went across town, um, then was going to jump on the, the local train down, uh, what is it, 34th Street. Ended up taking the express. Ended up way too far downtown. <laughs> and then just decided to walk up. So it was a little late this morning. but Net result, how long? Uh, like, I don't know, hour and 15 door-to-door. -door. Wow. 
Wow. I know. Usually it's like 35 minutes. But. I did get a text from Bob this morning that he thought he might be running three minutes late <laughs> to his nine o'clock. So at the end it's of the day, 15. I think he starts his nine o'clock at what Ru- time? Ruben doesn't uh-huh. let you know he's late till he's five minutes late. <laughs> That's, That's right. <laughs> Ruben, was, Ruben was going to be 20 minutes late. I, he didn't tell me anyway. Yeah. Oh, wait, like, I'm got, actually stuck in court right now. <laughs> I'm virtual court. Virtual court. I got, I got, I got my shot. I got it. This is going to anger a lot of parents out there. I, uh, this morning I woke up a sleeping baby. Because I had to no, catch a train. Allowed. That's yeah. not okay. Well, it's, no, it's it's rule number, golden rule number one. Never well, wake Ruben said we have to be in the office today, so, you know. Oh, so it's like stealing stealing like a lollipop from a child. I made you oh, wake what? your child. Yeah. So he was good. I walked my son to school today. Got on the train at 9.15. Bob was in the office at 9.03, and I was getting to the train. <laughs> got into the office at 10.30. It's okay. Was that your biggest shot today? No, no, no. I changed up my game for ping pong game with Bobby. How'd you do? I was great. I was three and one on, three and one on the day, so we'll leave it at that. Day's still young. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair. Um, I think that all made sense. My biggest shot of the day is probably leaving the house twenty minutes late. No one was leaving the house twenty minutes late. I'll go with Bobby's. But um, what about this podcast? This, this podcast big, is a fun shot. shot. Yeah, that's why we're drinking some good old coffee while we're uh, <laughs> having some good conversations here. And uh, this is going to be a good way to start because I think we're going places. Next time, if we're lucky, we might not have an ad spot. Um, but maybe 10 times in, we might get an ad spot. And this is going to become how we uh, become financial advisor influencers, to Chris's point, financial professional influencers. Um, but we're excited of good things to come, continuing breaking down sound boxes. Uh, we're hoping to have a lot of conversations amongst ourselves, conversations with other advisory professionals from all walks of life. And... Uh, some of our most interesting clients will hopefully uh, join us in the future. But uh, great job, and I'm glad we got you all coming to work. By the way, this podcast was a hack to get the entire team into the office today. Great job. When you say the entire team, you mean Chris, by the way. Good night, San Diego. <laughs> <laughs>